We're continuing our series today on the book of Jonah. It's been uh, a wonderful little ride for me. It's been so good to be uh, swimming in the seas of Jonah, the little book of Jonah. And I hope it's been good for uh, all of you as well. We're going to begin here in chapter three. Last week, we left Jonah as fish food. He was in the belly of the fish and we spat him out at the end. And today he spat out and recommissioned by God. He's going to Nineveh. I'm going to start back at 2.10, and I want to invite you to read along with me all, if you will, chapter 3. This is Jonah 3. My mic's not on. That's what, that was what you were waving about. <laughs> Jonah 3, 1-10. This is starting at 2.10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jesus, help us to see the truth of your word today. Give us uh, give us endurance. Give us strength, Lord. I know many here are tired. Give us hearts that are ready to be uh, receive the word of Lord of the Lord. Would, it, would you plan it in our hearts today? We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Back in the 14th century, Robert the Bruce of Scotland was leading his men into battle to gain the independence from England. And near the end of the conflict, the English wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from the Scottish crown. So what they did was they put his own bloodhounds on his trail. The bloodhounds got close enough for Bruce to hear their baying, and his attendant said to him, We are done for. They're on our trail. They will reveal your hiding place. But Bruce replied, It's all right. Then he headed for a stream that flowed through the forest, and he plunged himself in. He waded upstream up to his neck. And when he came out on the other side, he was in the safe parts of the depths of the forest. Within minutes, the hounds tracing their master's steps came to the bank of the river, but they could go no further. The scent was lost. The English soldiers urged them on, but the trail had been broken. The stream had carried away Robert's scent. A short time later, the crown of Scotland rested upon the head of Robert Bruce. You see, this is but a picture of how the memory of our sins, prodded on by Satan, are like those baying dogs. Our own bloodhounds are sent against us. We know our sins, though our sins are many, His mercy is more. And you see, there is a stream that flows for us as well. And if you are not washed 
in the red blood stream of God's own Son, those hounds will get you. By grace through faith, we are safe in the waters of Christ. No sin hound can touch you. And we saw a couple weeks back, the hound of heaven has found us. The hound of heaven is the one who has our scent, and he is on our trail. The trail is broken by the precious blood of Christ. That's the only way that men and women can be forgiven of their sins. This is the power of grace and forgiveness. And that grace and that forgiveness will transform you. It will transform you from fugitives to friend. And at the end of it, you'll get a crown on your head. Well, I start with that because Jonah has been through an event. He's been through the waters. He's been in the belly of the fish. He's been in the belly of the grave. He is a fugitive from the Lord. He's been running from the Lord, but the Lord found him. And the Lord caught him. And so he goes in the belly of the fish like a fugitive caterpillar. And what we're going to be seeing is he's transformed as a beautiful moth. (laughs) Poor Jonah, not quite butterfly status yet, as we're going to see next week. He's changed by the mercy of God, but he forgets God's kindness. When he sees God's compassion for others, he forgets God's compassion for himself. And though he is transformed, though he is changed, he's like all of us. How often do we return to our old sinful Ways. Well, that's the story before us today. Look at Jonah's repentance and where it leads him. God's forgiveness transforms him as a man who goes. This is verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Don't you love that? (laughs) From the beginning, God has always been the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so the word of Yahweh comes a second time. He says, let's go again. Jonah, let's, let's have a second chance. Let's start back at the beginning. You see, God forgives and he forgets. He does not hold forgiven sin against us. He does not keep a record of wrongs for the psalmist says, if he did, who could stand? Nobody. Nobody could stand if God kept a record of our sins. And you'll discover as you walk with the Lord, many of you have already discovered this, that you actually have a harder time letting go of the past than God does. And sadly, we see that so many are consumed by the sins of their past. They continue to live in their own sins and the sins of others. It's like it's that dead man that we carry around and it just constantly is a reminder and How many marriages are on the brink of collapse because of sins that happened 5, 10, 20 years ago? Anybody. I mean, think of anyone. Someone screws up and you say, what do you say? Oh, you always do this. Remember that thing you said back on December 25th, 1984 at 10 p.m. when the moon was in the sixth position? And I mean, how good is our memory when it comes to other people's sins? (laughs) Yet we can't even remember what we had for lunch the day before. Well, I thank the Lord that there's a second chance for Jonah. (laughs) And that there's a second chance and a third chance and a 70 times, seven times chance for all of us. The Lord forgives our sin. So Jonah's forgiven and he's recommissioned. What about us? You see, nothing can remove the condemnation of past memory, like I said, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have to... We have to wash ourselves in it. 
Love must cover over a multitude of sins. If we have been forgiven times without number from the Lord, how quickly should we be to forgive the sins of others? If you have asked the Lord to forgive you, take great comfort knowing he has done it. Take the Lord at his word. Verse 2 through 3, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, this is, com- compare this with chapter 1. It's so interesting to read Jonah and compare the chapters. Because what we saw in chapter 1 is that the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, followed by, and Jonah rose to flee. <laughs> the word comes, Jonah says, see you later. And then he spat out and we see the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, followed by, so Jonah arose and went. He's transformed. He's been changed. In light of God's mercy, he acts. And you see, God's love is meant to compel us, to compel him to go. And it should do the same for for everyone who's experienced this grace and this mercy. I know for myself, it's so easy to get in the habit. Somebody will come to me. And they'll tell me something and I'll say, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then I'm not as quick to say, also, what can I do for you? And I have to get in that habit. You know, we should definitely pray, but we should also be quick to act. The reformer, Martin Luther, he said, pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depended upon you. You see, God's word not only transforms us, but it compels us. A faith without works is a dead faith. So we need to be people of prayer, as we saw last week. But we also need to be people of action. When the word of the Lord comes to us, thank you, Lord, so much. That sounds great. I'll pray about Nineveh. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I'll pray about Nineveh, and I'm going. And I'm going. I want to stop for a second and and talk about God's sovereignty and his providence. We keep coming back to God's sovereignty. This whole book is really about God's sovereignty. It's about his providence in Jonah's life. Consider for a moment. What if that first time Jonah was called, what if he had went? He just said, yes, Lord, I'm going. He packed up his bags, went straight to Nineveh. What do you think would have happened? I wonder, perhaps, if very little would have happened. And the reason I say that is because Jonah wasn't ready to be a missionary to the Ninevites yet. He was. He? I mean, we saw Jonah at the beginning. He was a man who ran. And so Jonah needs to be broken and molded by the love and compassion of God before he can preach that same compassion. He needed to see that he was no better off than the Ninevites before he could effectively go and preach to the Ninevites. That's why so many pastors are just great sinners. (laughs) They were great sinners, and so they preach of great salvation. I mean, we we are broken people. It's always it's always remarkable when people go, you know, the church hurt me. And I say, a church full of sinful people hurt you? Who would have thought? We we are no better than the Ninevites. That's the whole point. Jonah wasn't better than the Ninevites. He needed to be broken by God's grace. He needed to see that before he could go and be a useful tool for the people of Nineveh. And so in God's providence, once again, this is the great mystery. This is the great mystery of my life and your life and of Jonah's life. We could call this the Jonah principle of evangelism. And I hesitate to even say that because it sounds like a health and wealth book title, you know, like the Jonah principle. But this is what it is. It's simply where sin abounds, 
Grace superabounds. That's just from Paul. And then, then we say, well, so, so should we sin like Jonah? Should we run from the Lord so that grace may superabound? What does Paul say? God forbid. By no means. Don't, don't know. You see, the remarkable thing about Jonah's life, about my life, is that despite my sin, despite Jonah's sin, his circumstances, despite his running, God works all of that together for the good. And so God, from before Jonah was even born, had intended to bring life out of death in his life. This could be called, again, the Jonah principle. It's just so powerful to, to see that. The, this is the backwards kingdom of the Lord, right? The first is last. By, by dying we live. The path of the cross is our way to victory. This is an upside-down world where we take the values of this world and we flip them on their head. We pray for our enemies. What a radical concept that is. And so what we're going to see is that Jonah's experience, his testimony, his his experience in the fish is going to act as a sign, as a living parable of the forgiveness and grace of God to the Ninevite people. Jonah's own experience in the fish, out the fish, talks about the possibility of mercy. Mercy and forgiveness are possible because Jonah lived. Verse 3 through 4. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The pastor Charles Spurgeon, writing back in the late 1800s, mind you, so just keep that in mind, he said this, The book of Jonah should be exceedingly comfortable to those who are despairing because of the wickedness of their times. Hmm. Nineveh was a great city, great in its wickedness as in its power. And if any of us with little faith had been bidden to go round about her and tell the towers thereof and mark well her bulwarks, if we had been commanded to go through her streets and behold her both in the blaze of the sun and the light of the moon as her inhabitants indulged in vice, we would have said, alas, alas, the city is wholly given to idolatry. It is girt about with a wall of sin as stupendous as its walls of stone. You can imagine what Jonah saw in that city. I asked a couple weeks back who would be willing to go to the great cities of our day and age. If God commanded you to go, who would go? And if you went, what would you see? What would you see in the great cities of America? We know what Jonah saw. You see, archaeological records show that the Ninevites were vicious and wicked and cruel people. They prided themselves on such things. After I had preached uh, the very first sermon, a pastor friend of mine posted on Facebook an actual band that came from the bronze gates of the palace in ancient Assyria. And on that band were pictures showing how the Assyrian people, the Ninevite people, that was the capital, right? How they dealt with their prisoners. On the band, it showed people removing eyes, cutting off hands and feet, impaling people, and placing their skulls on the gates of the city. They were so excited about that, they put it into art form. They said, someone take a picture. Let the whole world know how wicked and cruel and vicious we are. 
And I wonder, a thousand years from now, will our records show that we were any different? So again, imagine God calls you. He says, go to Las Vegas, that sin city, that great capital of the world. Sin city, 40 days, you shall be overthrown. And you say, okay, I'll go. But I'm not expecting much, Lord. Well, you know, what's the response going to be? Well, what was the response of Nineveh? Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh <laughs> believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That's amazing. That, that is an amazing response. They believed God. You see, Jonah spoke, but it was God they believed. Do you remember the first time in your life when something like that happened to you? When, when you had no prospects of something working out and the first time you did it, it just did it. You know, you set up your little uh, lemonade stand and you say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to make a fortune. And here comes the first car and you get that dime. And you say, I did it. I made money. I made fire. It actually worked. And so he goes... And, you know, he's 40 days, yet 40 days. And they go, you're right. You're so right, Jonah. He's like, what? I'm right. 40 days. Did you hear me right? 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. Lord, we believe you. Yes. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, it's like it's like the Jehovah's Witness Mormons. They come to your door. Knock, knock, knock. Yes. Come on in. They go, what? (laughs) What an incredible response. But I, but I read that and I thought, why should we be surprised when people repent? Why should we be surprised when God answers prayer? Why should we be surprised when God does exactly what he said he's going to do? You see, the opposite should actually be the surprising thing. Not the other way around. I've been in ministry long enough. To know that proud people, like the Ninevites, are often the most miserable people. Because they, they know their sin. They just hide it. And miserable people are dying for hope. We as believers, saved by Christ, we have the monopoly on hope. And so I ask you, believers, is the Holy Spirit real? <laughs> Do you believe that he renews the hearts of men? Didn't Jesus promise that his sheep would hear his voice? Then don't be surprised when you look at someone and you say, Hey, could I tell you about Jesus? And they go, Okay. All right. <laughs> what, do I, what do I do next? <laughs> Gospel goes forth in power. So be bold. Be courageous in your witness, in your testimony. Go. God calls you to go, so go and do it. The people of Nineveh believe God. Can you just sit in that for a moment? The people of Nineveh believed God. You see, it's a great comfort to me that the gospel of Jesus Christ is no respecter of persons. We're told great and small. From the great, from the least to the greatest in Nineveh, everyone was on board. Everyone believed God. God loves them all. And what we need to see that it is not the force of the argument or even really the eloquence that persuaded them. You see, the message of Jonah was simple. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. If I showed up with that on a picket sign, would you? I mean, you guys but like, hey, Heath, let's <laughs> let's put that down. You know, that's not the message. Um, it's not very winsome. 
You're not going to influence friends, win any you know, arguments with that. But see, we have to realize it's, it's, it's God who converts and saves men and women. It's not us. What's the message of the book? Salvation belongs to the Lord. We are the instruments. And what was so powerful about Jonah as well was the mixture of man and message. You know, it's not every day a prophet is tossed overboard and then resurfaces from the belly of a fish. You can imagine people standing on the shoreline and this massive shadow come. Bleh. Weren't you dead? <laughs> ah, ta-da! <laughs> I mean, God uses this, this miracle to, to, to awaken the people. You can imagine this, this news traveled faster than, it, than Jonah traveled. And it comes to Nineveh before Jonah's arrival. And so even before he comes, God is changing hearts and minds through that testimony. This is the guy. The guy. This is Jonah. This, the one who got fish. Yeah, this is him. Why is God sending him to us? I don't know, but we better listen. We better listen. And so Jonah is a living sign, and he becomes a type of Christ. Now, all throughout Scripture, and you're going to hear this, from us all the time. You're going to hear this from me all the time. There are these types and these shadows. And what they're meant to do is to point forward to an antitype, meaning the thing that is prefigured. And so all throughout the Old Testament, it, we find that it's looking beyond itself. The Old Testament is pointing us forward. You read prophecies in the Old Testament and you go, what is going on here? Who is being spoken about here? Because the Old Testament only finds its full interpretation... In the New Testament, for example, we have David, who's a shadow and a type of the king Jesus would later be. We have the Old Testament events, individuals, institutions, and they look beyond themselves as well. Passover, all these things point forward to find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He's the climax of the Old Testament. Everything is pointing to Jesus. And then we're surprised when we come to Jonah and we go, this runaway prophet... This backslidden individual, he's one of the most significant examples of a type of Christ in the whole Old Testament. How do we know that? Listen to Jesus' own words in Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Jesus says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. If we go to Luke's account, it's even more explicit. This is Luke 11.30. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. You see, there was something about Jonah, his person, his testimony, his witness. He became a sign pointing to God's grace. Every time they looked at Jonah, they would have saw God's mercy, his forgiveness. And Jesus says Jonah is a type in two very important regards. First, he must be entombed in the belly of the earth. Or, I'm sorry, in the belly of the fish. I'm going to be entombed in the belly of the earth. 
Jonah's going to be spat out. He becomes a preacher of repentance unto life. Jesus is spat out and preaches repentance unto life. Secondly, just as Jonah's message is validated by his resurrection, right, by his birth from the fish, so too will Jesus' preaching be validated by his resurrection, by the grave spitting him out as well. And so Jesus says, once you see this happen, it's time to repent. That was Nineveh's sign, and now it's your sign. Israel, Pharisees, all the nations. Someone greater than Jonah's here. Now why should they do this? Because Jesus is the better and truer Jonah. You see, Jonah was pointing forward. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Jonah taught, all that his life and mission entailed, and it finds its embodiment in the life of Jesus alone. Now, here's the remarkable thing, if, as if that wasn't remarkable. When we share in Christ's death and sufferings, there is fruit that's produced. Something in Jonah had to be slain by the grace of God in that belly of that fish. And it was out of Jonah's death, whether real death or spiritual death, that life was finally born in Nineveh. And the same is true for us. When we die, when we die to our sin, when we live to Christ, fruit will come out of that. And when we start to live for God, we will live for others. We will bear so much fruit and the sign of Jonah will go throughout the entire world. People will look at us and say, that's the guy. That's the girl. Have you heard their testimony? Did you know what they were before? They were, they were runaways. They were running from the Lord and then God took them out of prison. God took them out of, out of horrible circumstances. God took them from a, a murderous lifestyle from, into life. And you will be a sign of Christ to the world. The world stands in need of revival. We know that there are many who have never even heard of Jesus. There are those who have heard of him, but what they've heard is tainted by lies. People are are hopeless. Many young people in the world think the world's coming to an end. They think tomorrow could be the end. And so they eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow they die. People are self-medicating at all times high. They're self-harming at all time highs. They're looking for anywhere for approval and for love. They need resurrection. They need resurrection hope. Now we say, what, what do we say though? I, I've actually got them in the door. You know, they open the door. What do I say? Well, what did Jonah say? You know, what, would, would anyone think this was the message? 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Just a few powerful words. You see, it's, the, it's, it's, it's God who moves through the truth. He pierces the wicked hearts of Nineveh. That's because salvation belongs to the Lord. And i got to keep saying it. It's not us. It's the Lord. I have a friend, a, a dear friend, who uh, was a Mormon for most of his life. And then once he got married, he turned to an atheist. He said, I'm, that was nice enough for me, but now I'm an atheist. And he lived as an atheist for about eight or nine years. And he was a delivery guy. And one day, one of his uh, delivery people, they said, please, could could you come to the house instead? Uh, My husband is dying. You're going to have to bring it to our house. And he'd like to actually see you because he had known this man. And so my friend comes into the house and there is the guy he's known, he's talked to. He's he's really loved for a long time for this whole delivery route. And he can't the man can't speak. And he's unconscious and he's dying on a bed in his 
living room. And my friend sits there and he's making awkward small talk. He doesn't know what to say. And he says, okay, good to see you. And he gets up and leaves. And he has this aching in his stomach and he feels like I screwed this. I don't know what to do. And his boss is a Christian. So my friend goes to his boss and he says, you know, what could I have said? What, what could I have done? And the boss looks at him and says, what can you say to that man? Without, without Christ, there's no hope. You have no hope to give. And my friend was furious at that. How dare you say that to me? But you see, it was, it was that one sentence, without Christ, you have nothing to give. That led him down a path that led him to Christ. And my friend found the first church, and it just so happened to be our church up in Virginia. And he stumbled in that door, and he was baptized and saved. Because his friend was rude enough to tell him the truth. And so, will you screw it up? Yeah, you'll screw it up. But as long as you, you preach that simple truth, the Lord moves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So we speak the truth in love. We always speak the truth in love and we pray for God to work. Well, I praise God that Nineveh changed. We should never shy away from the truth of God's word. It's here we must now turn the scalpel of the law upon our own hearts. We always must do this. Who among us has perfectly loved his neighbor as himself? Who here has grumbled and complained without cause like Jonah? Who here has ever run from God's mission? Who among us have kept their eyes from lust or their hearts from hate for others? Have we not all sinned? You see, if your sin was written upon your forehead, if it was there on a t-shirt and we could all see it, would you be more ashamed that we could see it? Or should you be more ashamed that God sees it daily? Is this a spotless congregation of believers? Have we finally done it? Have we reached perfection? You know the answer. We are in desperate need of God's grace. We're in desperate need of God's correction. If God's word to Nineveh came just as clearly to us in this room, 40 days and Panama City will be overthrown, how would we respond? Sackcloth? Ashes? You see, these bodies are so fragile. My... my, My body is so fragile. How quickly my days seem to pass like a vapor. I look at my children. They grow faster than I want them to grow. It's too fast. And I look back on memories and they're broken memories. I can't even hold to those. I look forward to my future and I think, is my body going to get worse? How often I've just met someone and I I say, oh, how is so-and-so? I just saw them. And they go, it's time to bury them. And I say, bury them? I just saw them. You see, the time is now. The word from from Jonah is now. The word from God is now. There are hidden sins, and we need to leave them here today. And we need to repent and turn to Christ today. We're going to finish up the verses here. This is verses 6 through 8. The message finally reaches the king. How will he respond? Well, he does the exact same. Sackcloth, ashes, everybody. Everyone start mourning. I wonder if President Biden tomorrow got on the news. America, I've seen the wickedness of our ways. The Lord has sent a messenger. All of you, time to fast. Time to mourn. 
How would America respond? You see, if God were in it, the answer would be, yes, sir. Yes, you're right. And I pray that even now God might raise up thousands of Jonas in every congregation in the the world that they would preach this news with boldness. There's repentance. There's grace. Turn from that life. It leads to sorrow. In verse 9, we have this incredible statement from the king. He says, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? He says. This is baby faith, but it's faith. This was a God who who might have mercy. There There was the possibility of mercy. So they heard Jonah and they believed God. And you go, where did the king get this idea? Was this king a compassionate king? How do you work your way up? in a wicked society to be the king. You know, through birth, through, through violence. He, he worshipped the god Ishtar. The goddess Ishtar was a goddess of contradictions. This, this concept of compassion was foreign. Where on earth did he get the idea that God might be gracious to them? You see, he got it from Jonah. He looked at Jonah. Every time he looked at Jonah, he said, hope, hope. Here is a hope. Here is the embodiment of hope. God spared his prophet. He sent him to us. We might be spared as well. Repent. Who knows? Who knows? And now all of us as Christ's ambassadors are little lights, little beacons of hope. And we want people to look at us and go, there's hope. Did you know about Heath? If there's hope for him, there's hope for me. Surely I'm not as bad as Jonah, right? If there's hope for Jonah, there's hope for us. And now, beloved, there's one greater than Jonah. We speak not only of death and judgment, we speak of resurrection and forgiveness. The tomb is empty. The grave spat him out. And your testimony as a forgiven sinner is that exact same thing. The tomb's empty for you. The tomb is empty for you just as it was empty for Christ. And you say, I'm not even in the tomb yet. Yeah, but that's how sure your faith is. The moment you believed in Christ, it was as if you spent already a thousand years in heaven. That's how sure your foundation can be in Christ. And so we need to forgive. We need to love like Christ lived. We need to not be like Jonah is next chapter. One day the grave will spit us out. Believe it. God ordered Jonah's whole life just so that he might anticipate the gracious ministry of Jesus. And we all, like Jonah, are to speak the words of him who sent us. Jesus ends the Gospels with a great commission, where we are recommissioned from our life of sin into a new life. Guys, let's start a second time. Let's go again. Go into the world and preach this marvelous message of grace. There was a motto for one of the Welsh revivals, And the motto was this, bend the church and save the people. And so will we be bent so that others might be made whole? Can we be broken and poured out in service to God and others? Will our houses become oasises in dry neighborhoods? Will our church be a welcome place for sinners? When the sign of Christ is emblazoned upon our hearts, emblazoned upon our homes, our church, our whole community, that's when the power of God will be seen in the entire world. 
It'll go forth in power. It will be glorious. There's an old hymn that says, There is no gain but by a loss. We cannot save but by the cross. The corn of wheat to multiply must fall into the ground and die. Oh, should a soul alone remain when it a hundredfold can gain? Oh, should a soul alone remain when it a hundredfold can gain? We must take up our cross and follow him. You see, beloved, to despise the prophet Jonah, that would have been bad. If Nineveh had looked at Jonah and said, no thanks, that would have been sure destruction for them. But how much worse is it now to despise the Christ of God? The king said, who knows? Who knows? See, dear sinners, I have the advantage. (laughs) For I know. I know without a doubt. Because Christ came out of the tomb, he will have mercy. Who knows? I know. You have this promise today. If you come to him in repentance, you will be saved. Who knows, you say. I know. I know. I know that God loves you because the tomb is empty. And I want you to know. I want you to leave this place with assurance that Christ loves you, that God is for you in Him. You see, who knows is for weathermen. Who knows is for stock traders. Who knows is for false gods and idols. We worship Yahweh. We know. God had meant to destroy the Ninevites without an opportunity of pardon. He would not have sent Jonah at all. And I wonder how many times have you been warned up to this point? How many Jonas has God sent to you? Even now, you are being warned. But more than that, today, you are being affectionately called by Christ. His hand is outreached to you. He is calling you to come. He's greater than Jonah. By God's grace, would you come to him and would you live? Let's pray.